G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, Greg Bondar, Christian Voice Australia. He is National Director. Christian Voice Australia is a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. Greg, a special welcome back to 2020. Delighted to be with you, Neil, from uh, my long overdue holiday in France. Well, yes, welcome back. I'm sure you had a great time and I hope we get to uh, Notre Dame Cathedral because clearly you must have been there and took it in as uh, just a real experience. But there's other big, big pressing issues. Get a thought or two before we move into that. Um, The Voice, uh, of course, an overwhelming no vote on the weekend. Uh, You've had your own reflections on why it failed and a Christian perspective on it. Yeah, Neil, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, yes. Okay, thank you, Neil. Uh, I had a look at the voice in in quite a lot of detail. As you probably know, Neil, I used to work for a a large Aboriginal land council. I was chief executive. I had 17 Indigenous staff, and I got very close to the the, uh, Indigenous community there. Now, in the last couple of weeks, you know, in the lead-up to the voice, I looked at what is happening, and I must tell you, Neil, that there's been a lot of virtue signalling, both by Christians and non-Christians, and then I started to look at what actually went wrong from the voices' perspective. I don't think anyone should be gloating that it didn't get through. I think a lot of people would like to see Indigenous people recognised in the Constitution, but a lot wouldn't like to see a voice established. So there are two different issues there. Now, from my perspective, you know, and I and I had a look at this really, that you can, the reason it's failed is because, look, you can never really have uh, such a thing as an Indigenous voice. There are a lot of disagreements, there are a lot of uh, unknown facts, and, and you know, I, I think if you look at Galatians 3.28, Neil, you know, it came to my mind that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And I think that's the attitude that should have been taken both by governments and some of those Christians that advocated for a yes vote. The other thing is really very quickly now was the voice was a recipe for revenge rather than reconciliation, in my view. The voice really enshrined a divisive racialism, which I which was, I was totally opposed to. And more importantly, Neil, the voice rejected forgiveness and, and, and it really distracted from the real solutions that the Indigenous community needs right now rather than just a, a, a voice which is really virtue signalling, in my opinion. Greg, interesting you note the forgiveness idea. I did hear some commentary over this past couple of days that forgiveness needs to be a next phase of where we move uh, yep. from sorry and I have spoken to Aboriginal people who've said, uh, yes, of course we have forgiven. But it's a little bit like the national voice for Aboriginal people has not necessarily expressed, expressed that forgiveness. And, uh, and, and in some sense, you might say, where is that national voice? Because there's lots of 
sort of more localised voices, but there needs to be forgiveness that comes as a next phase, uh, is as the reconciliation process moves forward. What are your thoughts here, more specifically about that word forgiveness and whether that can be something on a national level? Yeah, I, I think, Neil, the answer to that is yes, we need to concentrate on forgiveness, but more importantly from both sides, Neil, I think both from the Indigenous side and and, and the side of those that uh, uh, are non-Indigenous, I guess, for the uh, for the want of a better uh, uh, distinction. See, the issue we've got here, Neil, is that I think a lot of people have, for, have, have the attitude that we need to forgive for past things that we've done, but the, but the Indigenous community also has to forgive the fact that a lot of us weren't involved in, in, in any issues that were raised. What we need to be doing from a biblical perspective, Neil, is that we have to forgive. And likewise, when I was working with the Aboriginal community, they came up to me and they, they, they really had the same approach. And they rang me recently too, that they, you know, forgiveness is the key solution. And that's the approach I think that it should have been taken from a national perspective. Uh, let me just take you back to something you said to Greg. Um, you said you can never have an Indigenous voice, which was what the whole uh, referendum was about. Uh, my assumption, if uh, you can't have an Indigenous voice or should not have a specific Indigenous voice, is that you do need to have a voice for the disadvantaged because disadvantaged takes in both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Any thoughts here around uh, the unity of Australia? You know, all of us together, uh, one people, one set of Australians. How disadvantage might necessarily be the focus uh, here on in? Yeah, Neil, I think you make a really good point. I have to tell you, when I was Chief Executive of Tharawal Local Aboriginal Land Council... I used to belong to a New South Wales group of group of uh, different land councils, and we'd get together for meetings. Neil, before there's reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous, I think that their own Indigenous organisations, not even, not only within New South Wales but nationally, have to some come to some agreement. And I have to tell you, there was so much infighting. So in my view, there is no such thing as a unified Indigenous voice. So what needs to be done is, you know, there's got to be a lot of reconciliation between uh, various Indigenous voices. Have a look at Jacinta Price, have a look at Noel Pearson, the different views. So once we get that, in, you know, once we get them singing from the same hymn book, Neil, I think we're on our road to a more reconciliation and, and then thereby helping those that are disadvantaged. And I've seen a lot of that happening during my time when I was with the Land Council. Uh, we were talking uh, through the campaign for the referendum about the fact that there are so many uh, Aboriginal organisations that already, in some sense, have a voice. Uh, what you're saying is there needs to be some combined voice getting together, and uh, that might be what the aspiration was with an actual voice that could be a singular voice to the parliament, now that the Australian people have, have knocked that on the head, um, ways that there might be a singular voice, how do you see the possibilities of, of how those comings together might actually happen? Yeah. Uh, now, the, the issue here is that I said the Indigenous community have to come together, sort their own backyard out first before we start looking at a national voice. And, and, and in that regard, you're not going to have 
a unified indigenous voice. It's not going to happen. It can't happen because of various ideologies, various um, political, socioeconomic viewpoints. Um, I'd love to see it happen now, but I don't think it will happen. And I think the issue we've got to address here is can the voice... And I think not, but do we want to recognise Indigenous communities within the Constitution? I don't have a problem with that, but I don't think the concept of a voice, a unified voice, is a reality now. Uh, Of course, the Uluru statement from the heart, uh, I guess it's not going anywhere. And, of course, voice, treaty, truth-telling was a process that uh, that the voice was setting Australians on a path to. And, of course, there are a number of states that either have a treaty process or they're preparing for that treaty process. No doubt, uh, whatever truth-telling means, that's already happening as well. The ball is rolling here. Mm-hmm. Do you think, Greg, that a national no in the referendum may actually be a cancelling of that process or do you think that those other elements are likely to still continue to uh, to propagate around the nation and that there is still value in for the aboriginal community the thought of voice treaty or truth telling yeah good 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 points there Neil. look as, as i said when i spoke to indigenous community members that i know really well there was disagreement, uncertainty, uh, there, there was no clarity on what the voice wanted to achieve. Now, in my view, what's happening is that, you know, one of the things I was disappointed in, Neil, was that the church was very silent on this. Uh, by the church, I mean the various denominations. You know, some, yeah, there was some virtue signalling. Yes, we, have, we, 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 we accept the Uluru Statement from the heart, but there was no real leadership, in my view, on what should be a Christian perspective to the voice. Now, as I said to you again, Galatians 3.28, neither Jew nor Greek, we are all one uh, under the Australian flag. And I think that should have been the approach. But the the issue we've got here is that um, we've got to be very careful that what the outcome as a result of the vote on Saturday will mean for the Indigenous community, because I think they do need recognition, they do need some support, but there are already some 30-odd organisations that are trying to cater for them, and they can't agree amongst themselves either now. Hey, just taking you in uh, to the deep end here for a moment, Greg, because as you know, and uh, you're with the Anglican Church, uh, it's your background, um, when we start talking about issues and they become politicised, it's almost a way of cancelling the church's comments into that field because uh, you know as well as I know that uh, the church leaders are reluctant to speak out when there is something that is politicised because they don't want to be partisan uh, because there are people on both sides of the fence in their congregations, in their uh, churches, in their denominations. So the thought that everything somehow is political, in somehow something has to happen here that, uh, that church leadership at the denominational level has to be able to speak even though things get politicised. Uh, I'm taking you in the deep end here, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, Neil, my thoughts are very clear. You know, I believe church and state is a reality. The church has to speak up on issues. Uh, the church must be involved because whatever we do on a daily level, uh, the church will be involved. Now, I think what needs to happen is for church leaders, whether it's Baptist, 
Presbyterian, Anglican, I don't care, uniting. They need to come out as on, on the issues. Now, everything is political, Neil. Unfortunately, I did not see any any, any leadership from any of the churches, you know, uh, that, that, are, that I can recall. And I think one of the things that we need to happen here is that, you know, uh, we've got to get the media on side, Neil. We've got to get governments on side. But more importantly, you know, I think we as Christians need to understand the fact that, you know, uh, the church and, and, and in particular the issue of the voice, you know, we need to support it in the sense that we need to make sure that, you know, there is a voice for the Indigenous community, but not through the voice that was proposed by uh, uh, Prime Minister Albanese. That just wasn't going to work. Okay, there's lots to talk about, and uh, we could talk about that for a long, long time. I think listeners uh, would like to even have their say, but we can't make that happen today. Um, Let's talk Israel, uh, the Hamas-Israel war, and uh, things seem to be in a holding pattern now. Uh, Israel is preparing uh, to uh, move in and try and, uh, in some sense, uh, take down Hamas. Uh, what are your reflections on what's been happening so far as this uh, dreadful circumstance in Israel? Look, Neil, I'm absolutely, you know, I, I am still in a state of shock because you and I both know and the world knows Hamas is nothing more than a terrorist organisation funded by Iran. The issue that we've got here is, Neil, that Jews and and Christians, Neil, have been persecuted for centuries. Now, there is nothing in the Bible, Neil, absolutely nothing, that says that the persecution of Jews needs to continue. Uh, One of the things we've got to understand is, and I I look at Psalm, I was just looking at Psalm 122.6, Neil, which really says that we need to pray for peace for, uh, for Jerusalem. And I think that's so critical, Neil that we do that. If you want to talk of conflict, Neil, go back to Ezekiel chapter 38 and you'll talk about it. See, one of the things we've got here is that uh, this is a real, this could be Israel's 9-11, Neil, and that's a real issue because if it is the 9-11, then we all need to worry because if, let's say, Russia gets involved or whatever, then we need to make sure that we are praying for Israel, we're praying for the innocent Palestinians, of course, that have been killed, but Neil, the left-wing media, the left-wing politicians are not letting this go and unfortunately putting the blame on Israel when it should be the other way around. And uh, certainly I know your perspective is this. There is no moral equivalence in what we're talking about here insofar as uh, goodies versus goodies. There are actually goodies versus baddies here and uh, you've got good as in Israel, and you've got bad, as in Hamas. Um, there are some people who are trying to somehow or other produce some level of moral equivalence, but yep. in, in, you've got to be able to recognise good and evil here, haven't you? Absolutely. I mean, Israel has to defend itself. It had every, you know, I mean, Hamas took the initiative. It took the initiative to attack Israel. Israel is now responding. And from a biblical perspective, I think there is room here for a retaliation from Israel. See, one of the things I've, I can't come to grips with, for example, the USA is supposed to be supporting Israel. But guess what, Neil? Biden gave in Iran $6 billion worth of funding. Now, why would you fund a, a, a country that is promoting terrorism? So there are real issues here, Neil, and I think we need to be aware 
that it's not just simple, but, you know, the last time this sort of war occurred was back in 1973 with the Yom Kippur War, as you'd be aware of, some 50 years ago. Neil, we've got to make sure that our prayers are strong and prayers for Israel for peace because, you know, uh, I think, you know, Psalm 122.6 says it. Let's pray for Jerusalem. And uh, with all sorts of predictions uh, that this may well grow into, um, some someone said a mini world war because uh, there are proxies, uh, those uh, Israel and Hamas, uh, but the backers of those extend to nations around the world. Uh, so that's something to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Hey, and I know that you've got something special coming up on Thursday night. You've got Dr. David Adler, the president of uh, the AJA, the Australian Jewish Association. He's going to be your guest uh, with a, a, a podcast, a, a, a live stream called Israel Under Attack. Uh, just a, a quick word about that, because I do want to quickly touch on Notre Dame. Uh, that's coming up on Thursday. Yeah. Now, very quickly, yes, I have got Dr. David Adler. who's become a good friend. Uh, and, and I've spoken to him about what's the implications for Christians as a result of these attacks by Hamas. So it'll be an engaging uh, interview. It's on our website if people want to register, but it will be a really good uh, insight into what's happening in Israel from somebody that knows firsthand now. Okay, you were in France. You visited Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, so many of us will remember the huge fire that's destroyed uh, part of uh, such an historic building. Uh, what's happening there? You were there and you, you saw what had happened. You saw the restoration. What's happening with Notre Dame Cathedral? Well, Neil, I was there because the first disaster was Australia could make the rugby union uh, final. <laughs> I mean, I gave up on them, so I said, I've got to look at something else. And uh, I went to Notre Dame. And Neil, I have to tell you very quickly, it was so encouraging to have thousands and thousands of people visit Notre Dame. And I think, you know, that something like the restoration of uh, the Notre Dame may well be a reversal of people coming to recognise the importance of the church from a historical perspective. So I was so encouraged, Neil. It's looking great, but wow, what a piece of architecture, Neil. And I felt a real spiritual uh, connectedness with the uh, with the church there. So, um, yeah, it was a great experience. Neil. I'll send you some photos. <laughs> hey, and you know what? The historic church and architecture, now that's probably a bigger conversation for another day too, but yep. when we appreciate that cathedrals like that uh, take uh, 100 or 200 years to build, uh, compare that with what it takes these days to build modern infrastructure and uh, architecture. But uh, but yep. we've, what we're seeing is the works of art that have been shaped by believers through yep. the centuries. Yep. Amen. And I, it's a real encouragement. I went back and had a look at some of the, the historical uh, aspects of Notre Dame. I spoke to some people and I tell you what, Neil, it is spiritually uplifting, uh, you know, and uh, I'm blessed to be able to have seen the church again. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg Bondar is National Director of Christian Voice Australia. It is a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. Uh, you might want to register for that webinar coming up on Thursday night uh, with David Adler. Uh, but ChristianVoiceAustralia.blog, ChristianVoiceAustralia.blog to connect with Greg Bondar. Perhaps uh, become a prayer partner. There might be some ways you can contribute. You might be able to subscribe to some uh, mailings and keep up to date with the issues. So ChristianVoiceAustralia.blog. Greg, thanks so much for another great update today on 2020. 
God bless you, Neil, and for the work that you do. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.